motion pictures, films, movies, cinema. It goes by many names, but what it is never changes. The moments, the memories, the feelings, all working together in a symphony of beauty, tragedy, and style, never duplicated, but often replicated. If you are interested, if you have an idea, if you yearn to know more, look no further. Welcome to The Sled. What's up, guys? We are back with another episode of The Sled. I'm Marciano Zapian. I'm Michael Luciano. I'm Titus Wilkinson. And we are back to talk about Eight and a Half. Ooh, my choice. <laughs> what did you think, guys? Yeah. That was yeah, a beautiful oh, oh. film. The film was beautiful. Yeah. I would definitely say, yeah, uh, it is very beautiful. I could see why so many people consider it like a classic and very influential. You know, there's like pretty clear aspects of this film that you can see applied across many others as well. Yeah, I mean, um, before we get like really, really heated into it, um, I have a question because we're still within the minute mark. And I feel like I can get a minute's worth from each of you. <laughs> what did you think of the first three minutes? Michael, go. That is the whole film right there. You watch the first three minutes. Like You don't have to watch the rest of the film. You should. Because it's worth watching. But if you watch the first three minutes, that's all you need. That's how brilliant that is. In the first three minutes, it tells you everything you need to know about yeah. Guido, the main character. It tells you everything you need to know within the first three minutes. And you like you can't tell until you actually watch the whole thing. But if you go after you watch it and then just watch the beginning again, it it just it showcases exactly who he is and exactly how he feels. So yeah. it was it was a brilliant opening. Valid, valid. Yeah. All right, Titus, we're we're at two minutes. Go. <laughs> you bastard! You took what I was gonna say. <laughs> That's why I always I go first. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I mean. Yeah, I'll be fully honest. I fully agree with that. That's pretty much my exact sentiment. But just to be a little bit different, uh, I would say that I fully agree with that. Um, And I would say that it definitely reflects a lot of the aspects of the film. But I would also say that um, it's a deeper reflection of, like, Guido's character in a sense. Like, his, and um, almost like his thought process i feel like how scatterbrained he is like he's just kind of all over the place and like in those first three minutes we see like how quickly he snaps from like one image to another and um so i don't know i I think that that uh, that yeah it's a little bit of like that and then also guido's inner like struggle in a sense oh yeah 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 we're at the three minute mark marcy go oh um (laughs) one of the most unconscious yet intentful captures of a tangible dream like there is a logic to its to to it but it's just unbeknownst to us three minutes that's right right. that's the podcast you guys thank you for joining us yet again thank you very much and uh yeah closing closing remarks we're not having yes Three minutes, just like the opening. Boom, done. Deuces. No, no this film's way too complex to cover it in just three minutes. No, even though, the, even though Fellini did a really good job himself of covering it in three minutes, like I feel, this could be a very long episode. Like, this was a brilliantly created film. Like, uh, it he really did do an amazing job of blurring the lines between memory and the fiction that he's creating and the fiction that he's also living and the dreams that he's also had. Like it takes a minute for you to be like, what, what, what just happened? 
like the the opening scene it took me a minute i was like what the fuck did i just watch like what happened here and then he wakes up and i was like oh okay but then there are more sequences where you're like is he dreaming is he actually doing what that like when they're dancing up the stairs in the bathhouse and you're like what yeah. the hell is going on <laughs> it's turned into a musical all of a sudden and then it's just another dream like it was brilliant what um I was gonna say wow the thought was there and oh you've never had a you've never had a dream of falling has anybody ever had a dream of oh, falling yeah, I've, I've had multiple dreams of I hate dreams of falling because I always end up like waking up through like my whole body just spasming because like it feels like I hit the ground and I wake up and I'm most of the time pissed because the only time I have dreams about falling is when I'm actually like in deep sleep. So I wake up and then I have to go back to sleep and I can't. Mm. But or what? I think the other sense the, to expand on that whole entire dream of falling, it's that feeling of like never hitting the ground. Because I've had those dreams too, where like you're just continuously falling and you never actually hit the ground. And I feel like that that's kind of part of the movie. He's like constantly falling, but. He, like, you know, it's, you're just watching him fall and fall and fall, and you're like, when is he going to hit the ground? When is he going to, like, you know? And yeah, it's, it's almost, it's a, it's a weird feeling. It's, like, it's kind of scary, but at the same time exciting in a weird sense. Liberating, yeah. It's, yeah, liberating, yeah, in a sense, yeah. It's funny that you choose that word because, like, the, the preceding image that you see to him, like, obviously flying. He's flying, so therefore he has to, or he's going to fall. Or, uh, well, chicken before the egg. Um, you have you have him. Eh, yeah, I got I got a little. Uh, I mean, maybe. No, no, like I, like. I going back to it to the preceding images. Like he's he's being encased in glass, and he and gas is filling up the the car, and like the only thing he's looking for is like an escape or just somebody to look at him. Just somebody to tangibly notice, look at him or notice yeah. that he's drowning. But, um, and that moment of actual, f- like, freedom coming out from the, the from the tunnel and him flying out, it is liberating. But then you have that, that sort of cynical approach of, well, you're still, t- like, he had no ties, and then all of a sudden it's, ah, uh, time to come down now. <laughs> you have the actual clinician even when you're free gauge it. you're confined by um, everyone else's opinion of you even when you're free that's kind of how he is throughout the entire film like you have different producers you even have clergy coming up to him saying you, you're you representing something and you need to be careful about what you put out there and he's an artist right Yeah. so he wants to just make his film and he has all these people telling him yes of course you can make your film Except you can't do this, you can't do this, and you can't do this. Well, how about this? Yes. Actually, you know what? No, you can't do that. And that's the thing that's that's really embodied in his character. Like, he, he's always evade... Like, he's always dodging someone, or he's always dodging people. Any questions or requests that uh, that his cast has for him, he just kind of brushes off, or he offers, like, a like a quick one like one-word answer, just... Uh, that doesn't really even mean anything a lot of the time. Um, that and then the big thing for me is he's always shadowed. Like the only time that he take, like the few times that he's he's taken off his glasses, he's shadowed or he's covered in some way. And then when we see him and he's he, like the obviously the the image is exposed. He has he has glasses on. Like there's there's always an evasion. Um, so no, no matter what people are demanding of him, he's just it's easy for him to avoid it because it just it, it it's blocked out. Even even addressing himself like in it, there, that moment of actual lucidity where he's where he is sitting at the table and we do see an exposed uh, Guido. He he makes a powerful statement and what did what did you think of that Titus when he just flat out said like he, he stated his intention. I mean, you know, it, it's you know, it's 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 tough because like I feel, I feel that that was what it was kind of building up to in a sense. Like it was that 
it's it's yeah it's tough because at that, that moment is sort of like it, it yeah I, I don't know I feel like it was sort of like building up to that in a sense and his and his almost like coming out of the shadow like you were mentioning before and um I don't know I, I might need to chew on that a little bit more <laughs> no yeah um <laughs> it's 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 there there's, there's some substance there um better to like sort of d to to recalibrate the question like wouldn't you say because we we all do film here we all do film um that's definitely fair to say yes yes we do film we do film um we, we don't are artists yes indeed we we don't just watch films we do films <laughs> yeah so um with that being said i mean that like him formally coming out to the like obviously to to himself first and foremost but also to us as as viewers like i all i wanted to do is is just make a film no lies no nothing but you he neglects the fact that that's what we are that's what filmmakers are that's what directors are we are trying to pass a lie in front of you but it's a beautiful lie it's yeah. something that that addresses the dead things. See, that's the thing too. Like he's, like he's so fun. Like the movie itself is just, in, it's just wacky. Do you so to build just real quick to go for it? Go for that, it. Do you know what he put on all the cameras? What he put this little banner on it called a uh, Ricordanti c'è un film comico, and it it translated in English. I don't think I said it right. Um, it says, "Remember, this is a comic film." He meant it as a comedy because there are so many serious bits in it. He put banners on the bottom of the cameras and on the side to remind the cinematographers, the crew, and the actors like it's supposed to be funny. Yeah. Like in in subtle interviews with people that are around him, like like that were working with him, uh, uh, second cinematographers like B camera, uh, sound guys, they they all said that he would laugh at the f weirdest things. <laughs> like like he would tell jokes that were like uh oh how's your mother today didn't or didn't she die like last week and then he'd laugh like it it's just dark humor um i heard of where the scene where the guy gets hung like they said like yeah we had to take that three times because he kept laughing every time i was like jesus man he, like oh <laughs> it, it makes me think of um does anybody anybody read classics like like the classic anyway diogenes Dio, does diogenes bring up any image to you he's okay um <laughs> expand on that uh you had well a, a quick segue into like the first semblance of cynicism is you had um i think it was plato yeah it was plato he was offering lectures and uh, breaking down what we are as people and what animals are in relation, just really, uh, he was going through a didactic breaking down of the world. And they were saying like, uh, what was it? They asked him, what is man? And Diogenes is like sitting, uh, sitting down, down the way from the lecture, where, where the lecture is being held. And there, he was saying, it's a, uh, I can't remember, what is it, a featherless avian, or just like flightless bird. <laughs> so Diogenes proceeds to go to the, to the market, steal a chicken, pluck it, and go to the lecture, break up the lecture with, behold the man, and he throws the chicken <laughs> at Plato. Like, like, that's such weird, but it's funny, we laugh, but it's just like, that reminds me of another story about Diogenes when Alexander the Great went to visit him. Have you heard that story? No. So Alexander the Great had just conquered all of Macedonia and he was expanding his empire and Greece and everything. And he heard that Diogenes the Cynic was in, the, in his bathhouse. So he went to him and he was like, and he was standing in front of him. And Diogenes is just kind of laying in the bath. And Alexander says, Great Diogenes, is there anything I can give you? Is there, let me bestow a gift upon you. 
and barely opening his eyes, Diogenes says, Can you move a little to the left? You're blocking my son. And Alexander, upon leaving the bathhouse, says, If I was not Alexander, I'd like to be Diogenes. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, taking that back to, like, formal cynicism, that's, we, we've defined what a, like, uh, one, the first semblance of cynic, you have this dark humorous that's, that's trying to divulge his dreams to you. And he repeats himself a lot of the time of, of specific themes that are harsh, but he tries to bring light to him. But just that repetition of image, of dream, like he ha he's having reoccurring dreams. And I think him putting it on the screen is both him making sense of it and also laughing at the fact that even the viewers are like, what am I watching? Because I feel like his answer would be, I don't know. <laughs> I, I thought you would know. He wouldn't I'm even say that. He'd just out. laugh at you. He'd just say, what are you watching? <laughs> and just walk away. Yeah, so I, like, you go from one technical direct, or like a series of technical directors that we, that we like and pay homage to as filmmakers, and then you have somebody who just completely, he, he does what we aspire to do, but not the but, way we want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, like Lynch. He was one of the few people that like went after it fully. And then you have uh, Fellini who went after it fully, but he was plagued. He was plagued by, by logistics and everything. And you see it in the movie. So, I don't know. I, I love that. Go, go ahead, Titus. Yeah, I mean, as far as that, um, you know, it, uh, it doesn't, I think it makes sense with him, you know, saying it's a comedy because well, one of the things that I noticed about the movie is um, the music choice and the music a lot of the time being like super over the top and like really like upbeat, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, bombastic and this like crazy um, score, of, um, like with the flight of the bumblebee and everything. And it was, um, it, it, it did give it almost like a, a comedic tone to an otherwise, what would otherwise be like not a very comedic scene in a sense. And and then we see that later on with Guido, like a lot of time he's like doing like dancing and stuff and he's like tap dancing and he's like doing these weird um, uh, dance moves and he's like humming the music a lot of time. And I thought that that, that, was, that was definitely like one of the more comedic elements and that I could see... Uh, you know, Fellini was sort of like putting in there to like add a little bit of a comedic element to it. But I thought the music choice in the movie in particular was really interesting and I thought it was really good too. I think it added, it was a really good aspect of the film. Yeah, the. Yeah. It's just wandering through the world in his own in his own terms i mean and that's and that's fellini himself the thing i want to like segue into if you if y'all don't mind by all means the uh the syntax like like the way he port like like the one thing that i'm stuck on is and the one thing that uh i, I was watching the movie with someone they're like, why Why are all the chicks just done, like, nobody knows how to do their makeup. Like, they just blatantly <laughs> went out of their way to make them look like clowns. <laughs> like, just symbols like that. Like, what mm. What did you find, that like, most rich or most, like, verbal? Let's see. I mean, I definitely think there's something there with, like, with, like, manlyhood. And like and like his and his relationship with women, and I think that was particularly communicated through the scene where he's um, where he's dreaming and he's in that um, and he gets like the bath and the you know and like all the women are there his wife and all the women that we've met and then some other women as well and sort of his relationship with them and how like they don't want to go upstairs. You know, which we never really know, like, what upstairs is. But I guess for me, if I were to probably um, compartmentalize that, I guess it would be, like, maybe the women that he's forgotten about that he doesn't really think about anymore. 
think that it, the language of the movie definitely has like the language definitely a big part of it would be like I don't know some, some, maybe like manlyhood and uh, his and like also Gita's relationship with women as well. I think that part of the language in the film is uh, like we brought up earlier his sunglasses, and I think that that was more a reflection of. When you wear glasses, <clears throat> especially on stage or on film, um, people can't see your eyes. Like, you can, you can pretty much have, like, if you can't see my eyes, you can't really tell what I'm feeling. But if they can see your eyes, they, it conveys emotion. And I think he uses them as a way to hide fear. Because he, he, I feel like he was constantly afraid of things. In this film, he's afraid of remembering his childhood. He's afraid of all these women that he's been sleeping with, his wife, all these people. He's afraid he's going to be seen as a failure. And yet his ego makes him go and do it anyway, but he just hides it, which is why he's wearing sunglasses throughout the entire film. So going back to that, does that make him a sadist? Does does that make him... like? like want to experience like he knows he knows damn well what like his fear of women all of the all like his fear of women his fear of his cast his fear of all these different eyes or prying minds uh like trying to demand something or evoke something from him they all mean something they aren't necessarily it isn't the direct term like he already set precedents with, with the first three minutes of the movie that not, even when you watch the movie, it's like this is weird. Something is off about this world. I mean, it's real. Like we have realistic elements, but it's not like the way that it flows flows funky. Yeah. Like it, like it must be a dream or that that mm-hmm. that feeling of are we still in dream mode or? Um, so all of these things mean something. They're all symbol like he's afraid of he like like women he's afraid of commitment he he always he's he's with how many different women like six throughout yeah. the film I believe yeah throughout yeah. the film but they all kind of they all kind of look the same too mm-hmm. um and I think that's not necessarily their own choice to be dressed up like that but maybe it's his own view on women that they're just they're all. Not not clowns, they're there but for like his amusement. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're toys, they're marionettes. Yeah. So, but he's both a sadist and a masochist. I think. I think that he enjoys inflicting pain, and then I, I think he enjoys taking it as much as he can give it. Correction, I I would make the statement masochist, not sadist. He doesn't enjoy other people's pain, like he does. Like he does these things because because he's. Brunt. Broken. He's broken. He's callous to it. So he... There's no commitment. There's no... He's not finishing the movie. He started out with one idea of a movie, and he's just... It just metastasized. So there's no execution, but he he goes through and tries to continue anyway. What do you think is... Like, what what do you think, Titus? I I think that that's... that's, Sorry, I mean, I would say that I think that personally, I think he's more of a narcissist personally. I think he's, because he's constantly, he's trying to make people happy, I would actually argue, in certain ways. And he's, and he, well, and he does, he says things and does things more to just, um, to get something back. Like he wants, he wants something in return for the things that he's doing. And I feel like that's why. He has constantly these these visions, or not visions, but you know, he just sees people all like turning and staring at him. He wants that, you know, he wants that return and acknowledgement in a sense. And I feel like a lot of the time he feels like he doesn't get that, even though he, I, you know, and I think that maybe part of that was too. We see earlier, you know, his his dad walks away from him and he's like, oh, I have so many questions. Like, I, I still haven't gotten to know you. And he's like, that's later, you know. We'll, we'll figure that out later, you know. And he, I don't know, I feel like he, he's always looking for, um, for acknowledgement and um, in a sense that somebody, like, somebody kind of, like, sees something, like, similar to him, I would say. 
No, I I think that there come like with with any endeavor, especially like this, especially with film, I see that as most applicable. Like applicable, you're you have ambition to achieve something or or to or to finally be vulnerable with people, and I think that if I mean with the tools right now. And with the time that we have right now, and just the outlets, the number of outlets, you should see more content. But I feel like when we finally put, when we finally put our capstone project out there, it's, it's just panic. It's anxiety. Like, we don't want to reveal ourselves too much. And that's true. Art is honest, but as the saying goes, it's also subjective. And I think that's the fear. The fear is not being honest. Because you can be honest with someone and they can perceive it in an entirely different way. And I think that's the fear is how the perception of honesty. And I think that's really at his core what he's afraid of through most of it. Like he has commitment issues and all these. And if you take all of those into account, he's not afraid of being accepted. He's afraid of what perception he's accepted in. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. That's... I mean, that, that... That shapes how... I don't know. That's that. That just shapes how we go about things. Like if if I really wanted to make the film that I wanted to make, chances are, it wouldn't make sense. It would make sense to me, but there's also a certain subject. Like subject, we are subject to other obvious. Like like how you were saying, other perspectives, and that ends up shaping the actual thing, or shaping the actual image, or creation that you've put out there um i think that one of my favorite things that a director has said was quentin tarantino was in an interview and he said the interviewer asked him what do you think of uh, how many people do you hope watch your film he said i hope a million people watch one of my movies because then a million people have seen a different film and that that's truly what film is like you it's very like it's now there are so many of them right like you have so many original pieces pieces that you've never seen before that are coming out that you can watch on all these platforms so it 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 is a little bit more difficult now because you have like marvel films and marvel films as good as they are they're pretty cut and dry like you understand what they're about like sometimes there's a deeper meaning sometimes it's just a cool superhero movie um, but when you go further back, like uh, what this movie was made in 1963, right? Roughly, yeah, 63. 63. People didn't know what to do with this in 63. They thought they thought of him as a genius, but they didn't know why. Mm. Like they knew the film was brilliant, but they don't know why the film was brilliant. Mm. And I think that that's what people struggle with today. And I think that that's what Guido struggles with, is he knows that he's brilliant. And he wants people to see his brilliance, not what they think, why they think he's brilliant. They, he wants his specific kind of brilliance rather than, again, the perception of his brilliance. And I think that's why his film changes throughout so much. Because he starts out with a basic idea, kind of like a... It is a basic idea, in a sense. And he goes through all of these changes where the film ends up becoming biopic in a sense it's about him it reflects him and his struggles his childhood his everything it's a reflection of himself but it's all the parts he doesn't want to acknowledge because he feels that once they're acknowledged they're out in the open and they if they're out in the open then they exist whereas if he doesn't acknowledge them they don't they're not real they're a fantasy it's a fiction Yeah, what did, I, well, you know, when, uh, um, I had a question.
question. I was I was curious what you guys thought about this scene when 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 he, uh, this is also pertaining to the scene when he's at the table at the end and he um, then he shoots himself underneath the table when he finds the gun in his right coat pocket. What do you what do you think he he killed off in a sense in himself? Like do you, do you think it was his ego maybe his pride or I don't know because that's kind of what I thought it was in a sense. Yeah, he killed his ego. He finally, he allowed himself to accept himself. And that's, ego is everything about you that you don't like. That's why people don't like people with egos. It's because it's, it's everything, but ego is accepted perception. It's just, it's what people see in you and you can say, yeah, I can see why they see that. But it's also just a persona. It's what you put out there for people to see. So once you accept that and let go of it and get rid of it, people will more than likely like being around you more. They'll like talking to you more. They'll understand you. True. But I would also throw out the... I would throw out an argument that ego is is shape. Ego gives your personality a, a formal cut. I, I feel with with people that do not define their own ego they are void in a way and that's not necessarily a bad thing but it's it's more of a like like it's it's an acceptance before it's depletion if that makes any sense like you're accepting all that's thrown being thrown at thrown at you but that doesn't necessarily give you shape. Eventually, you're going to have to make a choice. And that choice is going to come from a center. And I could see how ego death is all well and good. Um, but then at that point, there is nothing, there is no formal shape or force to address. All the all the shit that comes with it, uh, that comes with ego death, like all these images and stuff, like all these dreams that he's having, in a way, he, like clinicians are coming to him and telling him it's this or that, but he still rejects it. He still wants to make a movie out of it. Um, at first it's glamorized. At first it's it's a big idea of this new world, and then it metastasizes into. Okay, well, let's get more intimate. Let's get more intimate. I think in reviewing the movie and and or just or just that moment of ego death and, and reviewing all that all the vulnerabilities that have come to fruition and come come forward. That still doesn't that still doesn't change the fact that these things are unanswered. They're only unanswered for a mo- or they're only answered for a moment. That he's willing to accept his under his understanding of it, but again, it comes from the center. So I, again, it, like ego, like ego is gr- like in, in excess, almost estranges you as a person. Like you're forced to fit a cut. Like, like we, we talk, like we, we go on uh, tirades of celebrities and for their egos or just mm-hmm. Kanye, uh, Dyes his hair blonde. Uh, Kanye being Kanye. Yeah, no, like, well, well, just, I don't know, you, you look at a People magazine, you, 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 act, like me, I ask myself, why do I care? But I do care. Like, we, we celebrate egos, because that's what gives people shape. That's what, that's why these actors, like, actors are so interesting, and they remain interesting even after the movie is over. Because you know that, like, if, if they portrayed this, this person, this character so well, then they must be something like that. Yeah. But again, if, if, but that also goes to say that there are people that, like, play multiple roles, like Nicolas Cage, where I just, I cannot fully associate with him <laughs> as, an, as a character, even, even as a person. Like, I'm like, okay, he's so accepting of all these different roles that, like, he has no ego. I have an answer for you there. Okay. He's broke. That's why. <laughs> oh. oh. He's broke. That's why, <laughs> that's why he takes every role. Yeah. No. 
But but all I'm saying is just we yeah we yeah. we dog egos, but egos give us shape because otherwise it's it's yeah. it's the alternative. And and Fellini has offered the alternative. It's just dreams. It's just everything that's happening around you, and you're you're stuck making sense of everything around you rather than being centered and. Because there's turmoil on, on either side. He has all these different pe- pandering voices on the outside. But there's also, uh, like, unresolved gunk on the inside. So it's just, I don't know. Ego death is nice, but egos are necessary. Well, do you think he actually killed himself? Uh, no. No. Yeah. Not in this world. No, no the, yeah, definitely not. He killed off something in his other worlds, but not this world. I definitely don't think so. Because I, I think that the uh, the en- the ending is surprisingly upbeat, but but it, but it's t- it's you know it's funny because even though the ending is upbeat, it still feels like there's something off. Like it doesn't feel quite right. Like it's like it feels like something got resolved, but it doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's fully resolved. It's like unsatisfying. It's, still, hmm? it's completely unsatisfying. Completely unsatisfying. Yeah, like I thought it was kind of satisfying. It's brilliant, and you you feel resolved, and then you actually take a look at it, and you're like, you didn't address this, you didn't address this, and you didn't address this. Like what? You're missing pieces still. So it's an unsatisfying ending because he himself isn't satisfied. He's accepted that he's not satisfied, but he's still unsatisfied. Do you concur? No, no, let's no. let's hear the argument because you know what I I'm I I'm on the affirmative with that because it, dude it, even if I did achieve what I set out to do I broke down the screenplay as many times as, as I could to its like bare elements and I execute it perfectly perfectly like I, everything that was on paper I got out in image. I still am unsatisfied. I'm still pissed off. Like I could have done There's something always different. Something else, yeah. But what's where's your disagreement? <laughs> um, that, you know, that's that's uh, it's tough. Uh, I mean, because I guess what I'm focusing more on, I, I think, and this is just me personally. I think it's just like the, the more like the people around him in his life, and I think that. Um, for the first time throughout the whole entire movie, it felt like everybody was in a cohesive sort of uh, moment altogether. Whereas throughout the movie, it felt like everybody, like the framing of the shots, and everybody was crowding each other. You know, everybody was on top of each other. And uh, Guido would turn, and there'd be another person right there. He would turn, there'd be another person right there. You know, it was never like he had a moment of breath. And in that final scene, he finally was in unison with everybody, and he joined them all, and he he had a sense, he had more clarity, I felt like, in a sense. And at the end, he finally was directing. He was, like, giving people orders, and he was like, hey, do this, and, you know, and so I felt like he he finally figured himself out a little bit. He, he, he came to more, he accepted himself more, I guess, in a sense. So all the all the the gnarly shit he shot out all the tyler all, all of Ty, uh, tyler durden is gone with that one shot see i don't think i don't think, I don't that think that's <laughs> there obviously again i will return back to it you need a little bit of your ego you i need think shape. he was selective with what he got rid of because you in order to be a good filmmaker someone said <laughs> who was it I think it might have been David Fincher. It might have been an actor. I think I think it was either Shia LaBeouf or Tom Hardy. They said, "What, what do you need to be a good actor?" And they were like, "You need to be a little fucked up." They're like, "You need to have had like you need to have gone through something. You need to have some sort of trauma because then it's believable." And there, there's some truth to that. I feel like. You, yeah, you're pull, you're pulling from something. Yeah, I mean, it's the same with like uh, when we talked about last episode with David Lynch. I mean, Eraserhead was clearly him pulling from his own experiences. Yeah, and I'm sure with um, oh geez, I don't know why I'm blanking on the director's name, but this <laughs> made in half. So, uh, uh, Fellini. Federico. Um, I'm sure he's pulling 
song as well from his own experiences. I mean, that's, that's, that's a big part of any artistic vision is that you're pulling a little bit from your own um, past experiences. We can so, finally address the question. What? <laughs> he said, okay, David Lynch said that that was his most spiritual film. Mm-hmm. I would say that this, like, uh, in that comparison, what's up? Oh, no, 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 no. I was going to say, in your comparison, um, like, pulling from personal experiences, if we create a formal dichotomy between this and unconscious experiences, not spiritual experiences, but unconscious experiences, like, can we answer that question of, of, what is it? What did he mean by Eraserhead is his most spiritual film? Because if this is one of the, this is one of the most unconscious films, unless you watch a lot of Bergman stuff like Persona and that's that's like blatant. But that's subconscious because there's still matter, there's still symbols, um, structure even. Yeah. yeah, but then you have there's structure, there's symbols, but that's your perspective of. of of what this dream sequence means. That's what you think it is. Yeah. Um, it still has no... There is no formal logic to it, mm-hmm. but the logic that you place on it. Um, yeah. Whereas Bergman, he, he explicitly, with repetition or other tools, helps you def- work out what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Lynch, it, it's, it's up in the air, but it comes from something. It comes from spirit. So you have the unconscious dream with the spiritual, I guess, is it recollect? Or like just, I mean, like autobiography? Yeah, I would say it's a little bit of, almost like a biopic in a sense, a little bit, in certain ways. And you have a biopic here. So you have a formal, a comparison. So how do we answer that question? I can't answer that question. I'll never be able to answer that question because the question shouldn't be answered. That's why the film is so interesting. <laughs> Going back to the response. If you can answer the question, the film loses its meaning. <laughs> no, like, think, think of Lynch's response. What was his response? Can you elaborate on that? No. Oh, what? Oh, oh the... Are you just like, no? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. It was interesting because people accused Fellini before making this film. They said, you're artistically bankrupt. All you do is listen to what other people tell you. And then you watch the film with Guido and all he's been doing is what other people tell him. And he's accused of the same thing. So there is some semblance to piece of the directors in every film. For the most part. Yeah. But again, you go back to his personality and they're like... Even in his acceptance, there's still rebuke. He's still dodging. Um, but then again, like think about filmmaking as a whole. I mean, that's. I thought, I thought directing. If you were a director, that was it. That was it. Like you got a piece. The writer was complicit with you directing his piece. Um, but then this producer walks up behind you and he's like, "Hmm, nah." So you have all these people, you have like any number of producers, you have one producer, you, there's an executive, there's a secondary, there's all these different producers that are on your back and you have all these actors that are threatening to quit and these producers that are, well, make, make them happy, make them happy. So it's not even like, like a director's job to appease the masses that are, that are going to watch the film. You're also appeasing the people that are directly in front of you. So Again, you it's inescapable, but somehow, somehow, Guido is able to just kind of meander through it until he's finally confronted. So, I do you think do you think he's like I I want to learn more about Fellini. I feel like I feel like the cyn, there's more behind the cynic. I mean, if again, uh we're getting to that time. Um, I will say, if if y'all don't mind, um, we reviewed uh, Citizen Kane and Orson Welles' approach to technical filmmaking. He was, he was a pioneer. He was a genius at it. 
and then you have somebody at the at the forefront of breaking down dreams my i had a i had a very wow I, you know what Go i had vulnerable sort of uh divulgence i guess or a little therapy moment that y'all get to share with me um i was failing for the third time math i suck at math hey same here hey (laughs) and the only reason that the guy the teacher allowed me to pass or he gave me extra help he like he would go out of his way to he would read he would close himself off in every way so that anybody that came at lunch to try to get help he he just will just get it just understand it just try again yeah. he was inaccessible but i remember telling him i wanted to be a, he's like what do you want to be because I, I remember falling asleep and everybody had already left class and he woke me up and he goes i don't know what to do with you I don't know if I should fail you or you should just give up on you. He goes, what do you want to do? He goes, because obviously you don't want to do math. I'm like, I want to make film. And sure enough, I opened up a, a window to this guy's soul because he, he started to talk to me about film, about uh, Charlie Chaplin, the magic of uh, f- like practical filmmaking, Buster Keaton, uh, Milliers, and then... He started to break down, like he gave me movie recommendations, because I, I didn't think it was a reality. I do not, like I, at the time, did not think that that was a, a feasible occupation, and he had something to say about that. He goes, it shouldn't be an occupation, it should be a preoccupation. You should, you should want, if you want to go into film to make money, he goes, do something around film. Go light a set, go uh, move the cameras, be DP. Go be a movie star. Yeah, yeah. go be a movie. He, he goes, but if you hope to fail, you hope to be hungry, like you say things, you put these things out there, pieces of your soul, and it doesn't matter if you get claps for it or not, you want to be a filmmaker. He goes, that is an actual filmmaker. He goes, there are technical geniuses that, that made, made their money on pioneering new advancements like Orson Welles. He's like, watch Citizen Kane. Or you can film Dreams and watch Eight and a Half by Federico Fellini. And that's where this recommendation came from, is my teacher, Mr. McCaffrey, formally went out of his way for somebody who... who obviously didn't give a shit about algebra didn't give a shit about his class but he cared a lot about film and uh i, I don't know where he's at right now but shouts out the shout out so <laughs> it was the turning of a page and I, i'm glad you got to share in my recommendation yeah it was it was a beautiful film and i if I ever find that teacher of yours, I gotta thank him because working with you on films and reading your stuff is brilliant, and I can't wait for people to see it one day, truly. So I owe him a debt of gratitude because that's that's a powerful that's a powerful motivation right there. But this was a beautiful recommendation, and the film itself is beauty. It's an art piece, even if you can't make sense of it. I think it's a true form of art. So thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. I, mean, I, I feel like this is one of the most, like, most, uh, uh, like, film, sort of films I've ever watched. Like, this feels like the true definition of a film in its greatest sense, in my honest opinion. I feel like that, if, I, if you know, if somebody would ask, well, I feel like what, what one movie would define film, um, I feel like this would be one of the movies that I'd recommend for that because I think that this movie really there's something about it that it speaks to somebody who's a you know it speaks to any kind of artist and you know we've all got our own artistic inspirations and I think that eight and a half um, it, it, it communicates to everyone I think you know it, it definitely appeals to a, uh, it, you know appeals to us all you know because we all have 
have our artistic inspirations and visions. And so I think that, yeah, this movie definitely uh, uh, talks to that. Sure. Well, thank you all for watching it. And it's that time. It's that time. Yeah. Yeah, all right. What are we watching next? So we've been going spiritual. I'd like to take kind of a darker turn and go for true anarchy, true chaos, true cynicism. Uh, I'm going to go with Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. Because that is... (laughs) That is the best film I have probably ever watched, truly, with logistics, um, the setup, the story, dialogue. That is a piece of history that will live on forever. And that's what you're going to watch next because that is... And I believe it's relevant to what's going on today. You know, philosophically and politically, it it's time. Alright. It's time. Uh, I have a question for you before we take off. Mm-hmm. Is it Batman a Dark Knight or the Dark Knight? It's the Dark Knight. What do you think, Titus? What was the question again? Is it (laughs) Batman the Dark Knight or the Dark Knight? Is Batman the Dark Knight? No, is the movie Batman the Dark Knight? Knight? Or just Uh, is it the Dark Knight? uh, It's just the Dark Knight. It's just the Dark Knight. And we can close with that because what do they you think it is. No, I do not think it is Batman the Dark Knight. It is, it is a standalone film that is hardly even about Batman. I think at that point, if you want to get into spirituality, he is a totem for something that we'll get into we'll it. We'll talk about we're, it. Next we'll week. talk. We'll <laughs> talk. We're, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but yeah. Uh, any closing remarks? Um. No, I think we covered it. <laughs> In my Watch opinion. Film. Watch film, study film, believe film. Watch eight and a half, especially if you want to be a filmmaker, because it kind of it shows filmmaking warts and all. So Yeah. Oh, closing remark. Thank essential workers. Thank them. Yeah. Yeah, thank them, definitely. Yeah. Alright. Alright. I have been Marciano. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> Kumbaya. <laughs> I have been Marciano Zapian. I've been Michael Luciano. I'm Thomas Wilkins. We'll see you. We'll see you next time. <laughs>